Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. There's a gentleman who's written uh, three novels, but his career was not originally as a, a novelist. It was as a lawyer, but that came through training at West Point, where he served in the legal division of the military for many years. His novels include China Boy, Honor and Duty, and his new one, a thriller, Tiger's Tale. Please welcome Gus Lee to West Coast Live. Thanks very much for being here on the, uh, the radio show today. My pleasure, Satch. Now, China Boy was uh, your first novel, and it was the story that in many ways reflected some of your own experiences um, and dealt with uh, issues of oppression, of struggling through the uh, West Point Academy. And, and there was a line in it that, that, that I remember. It was, murder is not an unknown concept in the family because mother had a driver's license. And, <laughs> I mean, you, you clearly had some fond recollections of your youth, but also uh, <laughs> as, a, as somebody uh, who was perceived as a minority and went through uh, one of the most uh, rigorous training programs in the American military, you also dealt with a fair share of, of uh, oppression. I wonder at this point, looking back, how you, how you reflect on that experience. Well, I really didn't experience any unusual oppression at West Point. It's like saying, uh, you went through the Inquisition, uh, you know, was that difficult for you? And uh, <clears throat> what are you going to do for your postgraduate work? But uh, I think the, uh, the key to the, the military experience at West Point uh, is that it's hard on everyone. Uh, one of the great lessons I learned there uh, was that sometimes hard work isn't enough. And uh, as I learned in engineering, a lack of work or effort at all uh, can mean even less. But uh, I don't think I was subjected to any more um, oppression than the, the average cadet. Uh, the oppression which is expressed in China Boy is really that of a, a Chinese immigrant kid, the son of a Chinese immigrant family, growing up in an African-American neighborhood and entering at the age of seven without any bodily, social, linguistic, or physical courage skills. So it's really, you know, this kid's ramp up to become an American youth uh, to strive to become a successful black male youth, a uh, condition to which I was not innately suited, but uh, <laughs> an honorable objective nonetheless. Um, and, and both of the first two novels, uh, China Boy and Honor and Duty, are really about how um, angels intervene. Um, my, my first friend who appeared, uh, known in the book as Toussaint LaRue, uh, who was a clinic doctor here in San Francisco thereafter, true person, Dr. Tucson Street, uh, who reached down to this poor China boy who didn't even have a first name uh, to start imparting to him the skills of street life. Um, his mother, who basically adopted me morally after the death of my own mother, and uh, an old uh, boxer in the Central YMCA in the Tenderloin who became my moral father. The, uh, the course of, of reflecting on this and, and writing it uh, and, and doing it now through three novels, this, this experience of, in essence, being an Asian-American within this uh, American system um, has evolved in a very curious way. I mean, and now you're, you're reflecting in this, in this thriller, which is a traditional thriller such that you might, if you saw it on the screen, see, and, I'm, and I don't know how you feel about him as an actor, but Steven Seagal in one of the roles. <laughs> 
Did you catch that on radio? Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I have great respect for Steven Seagal as a martial artist, um, but, uh, <clears throat> and, and I like his environmental positions, but uh, the... Um, where, you, you learned to speak like this as, in law school? <laughs> no, that's where I learned creative writing. <laughs> Uh, there's a character in Tiger's Tale who says uh, law school is to free thought as foxes are to hens, but that's a vicious rumor, really. So. Well, that was, that was the much-admired professor of your hero who, who had that. Uh, uh, and when you, uh, when you sat down to write this novel, I mean, how much of your military experience did you want to uh, uh, sort of, ex uh, you know, get out of your bloodstream, just try to expiate it? Well, I, I've, I've been told that uh, that DNA chip will never leave, but... Um, to the great discouragement of everyone who knows me. But uh, this is not so much a, a matter of, of expunging, uh, but of memory. Uh, writing for me has really been uh, a retroactive activity of mining the past. Uh, the muses have been very kind to me by giving me, uh, I mean, what other writer could, could get an immigrant family, um, a wonderful, uh, eccentric, uh, charismatic, passionate mother, who apparently gave me enough love to drive me the rest of my life, even though she died when I was five, a Pennsylvania Dutch stepmother who was abusive, um, three loving sisters, uh, a really a, a, a story-generating father, I grew up in a black neighborhood, uh, go to school in Chinatown, uh, go to West Point, be mentored by H. Norman Schwarzkopf, uh, later meet a wonderful woman and get married and have a family, but discover that Everyone hated the military, so you get out, and uh, you become a district attorney, and you do, you know, incredible cases. So it, it's just a matter of remembering all the incredible people that I've, I've known through the experiences that fate has offered. And so th I, don't, I don't know if this is transforming for me, this book. China Boy was, and Honor and Duty was. By the time this story comes along, which has the structure of a thriller, I'm just recounting the adventures which passed my way. Well, indeed, they are very curious adventures. Uh, could we hear a bit of, of Tiger's Tale? So from early on in the book, when you describe uh, the start of a mission that you're on, a mysterious mission that you've been sent on by your mentor. Right. The, uh, this is going to be from chapter one. It follows the prologue in which the protagonist, uh, Jackson Can, uh, a man from San Francisco, uh, finds himself in a recurring nightmare based on a tragic event uh, of which he was part in Vietnam uh, some years before. And uh, so I'll, I'll pick it up. Chapter one, girl. It was number one best Ding Hao, good fortune, the magic of Chinese river fogs and Baba's bright red good luck that made her eyes open. She was alive, and I take her to Disneyland to ride the teacups and tell knock-knock jokes. I would grow full on her happy laughter. She was above me in a sky-blue kimono. Anata, anata, she cried. Sir, sir, small hands trying to lift me. A stewardess. The Dong Nai had been six years ago. No snakes, no swamp, and the girl was dead. I blinked in a cold sweat on the floor of the first-class cabin, holding a crushed can of Diet Pepsi. A pillow, Ma's salted fish, a Korean dictionary, and Frigo's psychology of nightmares lay like casualties. My head ached. I fought for air. I looked at my bloodless hand. January 14, 1974, 
I was following the sun across the Pacific on Japan Airlines Flight 001 to Tokyo. I had fallen asleep and entered the old nightmare like a lamb to slaughter. Yoroshidas, it's okay. I collected my gear and stood. The other passengers were Japanese, standing solemnly like honorable men watching the failing of a family bank. I bowed to atone my rudeness. They bowed lower. <laughs> it was one thing to have a big, deranged Chinese with them. It was another if he was going to cry all the way to Japan, trying to resuscitate a pillow. <laughs> the co-pilot watched a stewardess place cold hand towels on my forehead as another gave me slippers, eye covers, nail clippers, and playing cards. And a doctor slid his stethoscope under my turtleneck. A small girl with a one-eared stuffed rabbit gazed at me and my missing ear. Tourist-class passengers gawked from the curtains. I laughed. I had been booked in first class on a foreign air carrier to allow me quiet and unnoticed entry into Asia. I was returning to the Far East, the land of my birth and of my error. I was going to rescue an old friend and investigate a fading memory of a prior self, hoping I wasn't too late for either cause. I am Jackson Huchin Kan, the firstborn, accountable for the clan line. My veins run with the memory-rich blood and river silts of China. They bind me to Ma, to Baba, to our Jia, our household across the sea. From the Golden Gate, I speak to family graves on the Long River and our thousand generations of black-haired men. I pay all debts. I perform honorable labor and will do so for all my days. I am son of a Laoban, a sweaty, hard-faced Chinese junk captain. I am no stranger to hard work. I obey the currents and accept the risks of the river. Beneath our hull and wind-chopped waters lurk slimy river demons who would hold his face down for the price of a small fish. The risks do not matter. I do my job, honor my parents and all elders, and remember the beforeborns. I close all files. Until he became Christian, Baba was a drinking gambler, a cursing shamanist sailor who had me beat a gong to the fast pop of firecrackers each time we left the quay with good cargo. Hua, Ma had said, holding my face to keep my little boy's mind from wandering. The gods promised you to me. You are Hu Chin. Hu means the tiger, and danger, and courage. Ayah, tiger, bad name for my laughing son. Your father's father named you after drinking two black jugs of rice wine for your birth. Hu Chin Ah, you were born in war, and named in his drunken happiness. Chin means gold or precious, names to protect the clan in sad times. Ma later said this made finding a wife for me difficult. Mrs. Wong, meet my firstborn son. Precious danger. <laughs> Gus Lee, reading from Tiger's Tale. You, uh, there's a line in there in which uh, you subsequently say that Chinese mothers own their sons. What did you mean? Well, that's the ultimate truth of the universe. Um, <laughs> if you've ever seen a, a, a Chinese mother uh, act in a protective manner uh, with her children, particularly her sons, that's acting out an old tradition. Um, my mother said <clears throat> that... Uh, my flesh, well, she would say, your flesh is not yours, it is mine. And if I were to take her flesh on a dangerous journey across a jungle gym, or if I were to let some other kid hit her flesh, that would be impermissible. So, I mean, who's going to hit a mother in this neighborhood, you know? So uh, it's like you don't take those risks. Um, there are wonderful features. I mean, I'm, I'm going to cover... 5,000 years of Chinese history in 10 seconds, but <laughs> here it goes. Um, there are wonderful features of, of Eastern culture. 
which certainly appear in Chinese culture. Uh, one of the best is the relational obligation that exists between people that never dies, even after death. Uh, something we, we should remember and, and take to heart here in that we were once that way ourselves as an American people. One of the disadvantages is that it was highly uh, sexist and, um, and classist, so that firstborn sons were important, secondborn sons were unimportant, and daughters were off the chart. Uh, they were referred to as what, a small happiness? Exactly, <laughs> very small happiness, because they represented a dowry. They couldn't work in the field um, because no ERA had been passed in China then. And uh, nor does it seem likely. I don't know. Is it? Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, China is a is a great hodgepodge of of, of different values um, ever since the revolution. Uh, so some women have experienced greater uh, enfranchisement in China uh, than I think than some women in America. On the other hand, Confucian tradition will not die. The. Uh your, uh, uh, the idea of the mother, of you being your mother's flesh, is one that is, uh, is not a particularly, uh, I mean, it's a Chinese idea, but it's not in a, uh, sort of a Caucasian American military idea. Uh, in your book, there's a great deal of pounding of other mother's flesh that, that goes on. <laughs> well, that's the American way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think any, any mother's loss, regardless of culture or or land of origin um, is profound and, and without measure. Um, but we do have a highly individualistic society in which uh, the idea of kids leaving the home at 18 or even earlier is natural, whereas that is highly unnatural in Eastern societies. Uh, so I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that hitting other mothers' flesh is a direct consequence of that type of thinking, of that type of culture, but it certainly supports it. You make some comments along the way also uh, decrying stereotypes of Asian Americans in the movies and in fact characterize some Koreans in ways that are their caricatures in some ways of, of uh, Mickey Rooney playing Chinese characters. That's right. Well, and, and not again, nothing against Steven Seagal, but I, I, I really didn't think of him as I was writing this. I didn't think of him as, as, the, as uh, your character or as, as the narrator. I thought of him as one of the... Uh, the big burly Caucasian military guys who uh, who goes along on the expedition, the one from uh, the one who had the ability to uh, to throw a chair out the window, or that your character throws a chair at. That's right. That's McGrip, um, best played by the guy himself, uh, Don Meinhold out there somewhere. Um, I was just with Don um, about a month ago for his birthday. We went out to lunch together, and this gigantic dog attacked him. Came out of a pickup truck, and 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 Don looks like, you know, he's a he's a younger version of John Wayne, uh, physically, uh, not politically. And um, this, but the dog didn't know. So the dog, uh, <laughs> the dog came after after Don. Now, if I had been on that side of the vehicle where where this dog had made his attack, you know, I, I would have found myself very quickly in, you know, I, I would have been in Schenectady. I would have been gone, just intuitively, bang, I'm out of here. Um, Don instead turns to this dog, leans into him, and puts together an extremely colorful Shakespearean-like soliloquy, which makes the dog literally back down, <laughs> turn its head away as if there is no human being there with feral teeth bared, and that's who Don is. So, and 
you know, it, people have, critics have been very kind to me in terms of, of characters in, in my novels, but as I said, fate's been very kind by just dropping these people in my life on a conveyor belt. There's a, there's a scene in which a concussion grenade goes off in your novel and you describe the effects. Have you in your military career ever had a concussion grenade go off in your, in your vicinity? I'm sorry, I can't hear you, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, uh, no, I never have, um, but I, I likened it to uh, firing, uh, I mean, this is awfully, Tom Clancy, are you listening? But it, 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 to firing a 90 millimeter recoilless rifle. Um, the rocket detonates right next to the eardrum. In fact, I think the, the percussion element of that rocket enters your eardrum and then detonates, and it causes a ringing. It, um, if you fire it all day, eventually you, you, some people experience nausea, and everyone experiences hearing acuity loss. So that's what I compared it to. No, I've never, I've never had anyone throw a concussion grenade at me. That's why novelists exist, you know. Your story involves a, a, somebody who's in the uh, Inspector General's office of the American military, and I was struck by how much power uh, somebody from the Inspector General's office has. There's a, something called a Richelieu letter that somebody is able to get, and you can show that to anybody and have access to almost anything in the military. That's right. Yeah, the, the IG, the Inspector General in the Army, it, I, I happen to think is a good device because um, it, it's one of the best methods of rooting out uh, unethical behavior, unethical officers. The actual investigation, which is the basis of Tiger's Tale, uh, was the Connolly investigation, which reported to Sam Nunn's Senate Armed Services Committee in the 1970s, and I was an investigator for that committee. Uh, we had IG Powers, a Richelieu letter that says, basically, all that is done by this investigator is done in the name of the Republic, the Chief of Staff, and your mother, and, uh, and her flesh, you know, so you know, you're, you're allowed to go anywhere. Um, in my life as a civilian attorney and as, you know, I mean, you know, as a district attorney and as a, as a government uh, official, I, no ethics investigator ever had the power that an IG investigator had in the Army. And extremely high senior officers were immediately relieved and, and in some cases separated from the service on the basis of IG inspections done by captains. Um, and so I think it's a, a real good device. The, uh, the character at one point uh, is going into an office disguised as a janitor uh, to gather information. Did you in your uh, career as a federal official at any time find it necessary as a, as a prosecuting attorney even to dress up as a janitor and go into somebody else's office? Not as a janitor, uh, but in Korea in, in order to um, gain access to a, uh, a particular Korean federal prison in which Americans were not welcome. Uh, Americans have really infiltrated Korean life to a degree that uh, is not appropriate. And some of it is military necessity, but most of it was political error. And um, the advantage was that with an Asian face, the presumption was that I could, in civilian clothes, I could get into this prison uh, in order to talk to American prisoners within, beyond the normal calendar of scheduled events. Uh, it, it didn't work. I did not pass as a Korean. I, I, I have an American affect, an American way of walking, an American way of tripping on the sidewalk or holding myself and looking at people's faces. And uh, I wasn't built like most of the Korean men in that region. So it, it didn't work, but it was an attempted ploy. These and other devices show up in uh, Tiger's Tale, the uh, thriller by Gus Lee, who's also written 
China boy in honor and duty. Thank you very much for coming by on West Coast Live. Thank you, Sedge. Gus Lee. This is Sedge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.